Toots. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Brave New Church. We've been on a bit of a summer hiatus these last several weeks, but as the school year begins and many churches are launching into a new year of programs and activities and so much more, we are getting back into it as well. This time of year, many churches are launching their Sunday school programs or their confirmation classes and one of the conversations we've been having here in southeastern Pennsylvania around discipleship that's also been had across the country is about whether the things that we have been doing with our children, with our confirmation students, with high schoolers, young adults, and even people of all ages are actually instilling the kind of meaningful, lasting faith that carries them forward as they get older and as they wrestle with the real questions of what it means to be a follower of Christ in today's all-too-complicated world. There's been so much going on in our world lately, and we don't need to be reminded that it can be a scary and difficult place. Right now, as we speak, parts of the world are literally on fire. Uh, some are still underwater, and a hurricane is bearing down upon the southeastern United States. At the same time, all of these are just a small part of the things happening in our world around us. There are other disasters throughout the world. It seems that we are in a season of upheaval, of political, of social, of cultural unrest, of anger, of confusion. And as Christians, far too often, we can feel paralyzed by the complex challenges of a very grown-up, very serious world. And far too often, the faith that we learn in our Sunday school classrooms or our confirmation programs, or even in our worship experiences itself, just does not seem to relate to this all-too-real, all-too-painful world that we find ourselves living in. And so as people have asked themselves what it means to have a meaningful faith in today's world, and as many congregations across the country have wrestled with the question of whether what they are doing to instill faith in their people is actually making an impact, there's been a movement that has been growing for many years. This movement is called cross-generational ministry or cross-generational faith formation. And here in southeastern Pennsylvania, we have many churches that have been experimenting with this model in the past year. We are far from the first to take on this new and different uh, approach to building faith for people in our postmodern world, but we are part of a growing movement of Christians across our country. And so today, in a world that seems to be tearing itself apart, we are going to start with a focus on that which ties us back together our relationships, which in the end are fundamentally the cornerstone of our faith. To kick off this conversation, I invite you to hear a story that was shared with me by Pastor Paul Amlin. 
pastor at Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Dubuque, Iowa. Here's a great experience from a high school Sunday school class at Faith Lutheran Church in Marion, Iowa. We had uh, uh, the senior most member of our church come in and just talk about her faith story, Wilma Burrell. And she, I can't remember exactly how old she was at the time, but she was in her 90s. And um, she sat there and uh, just talked about why her faith was important to her. And then we opened it up for questions. And one of the young people said, so when you went to school, did people ride horses? You know, it seems like an innocent enough question. You know, we, we chuckle. <laughs> she did. She rode a horse. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, it changed everything. Those young people from then on, every time they saw her, hey, it's Wilma. Hey, how you doing? Where's your horse today? You know, but it, she was, she was vulnerable. She was willing to think about it. How many adults are willing to walk into a room full of high school kids and talk about their faith story? And how many of us as adults are terrified of telling our faith story anywhere, let alone in front of a bunch of high school kids? But that vulnerability is what led to relationship and that relationship led to trust. And in that trust came a genuine concern and care for each other and for the church. And when we get to the point where a church has that kind of relationship with young people that says, we welcome your thoughts and your ideas about worship, about Sunday school, about youth programs, about staffing. Um, we want to hear from you about what's important about how this church serves our community. And when we're willing to do that, then we start to see, okay, well, if you're willing to listen to me, I'm willing to do something about it. And, and don't hear that as like, here's the seven steps to getting young people involved in the church. It really isn't that. I mean, it, it's what happens. It's just what happens. Um, you know, if we have, we have, we have churches that are full of young people who are so talented. Um, do we give them the chance to share their talents? Um, whether that's music or writing or singing or whatever it is. Do we give them the chance to share their talents or their creativity um, to say to them, man, you know, this, this coming weekend, it's transfiguration and we'd love to have something that looks like a mountain or, you know, how can we, how can we create this story? How can we make this story come to life? Um, high school person who is on the, the worship committee, do you have any ideas? Well, yeah, I could create something that would look really cool. Awesome. Let's do it. But so often, you know, we're concerned about how efficiently and quickly we can get through a meeting and, and you're in charge of this, you're in charge of that. Let's just get it done. You know, like, like most things, it takes more effort. It takes more time. It takes showing up. But what I've discovered is by showing up in young people's lives, young people care enough to show up in yours. I heard it over and over again in my position at Churchwide. How do we get more young people to show up? Well, how are you showing up for them? You know, at the end of the day, if you show up for them and they know that you care, then they're going to show up.
In the end, our faith is a faith rooted first and foremost in relationships. Our relationships with our neighbor, our family members, our loved ones, and of course, our enemies. As Jesus taught us, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Why would it be any different in our congregations here, too, our faith is shaped not through learning doctrine or by being able to repeat certain Bible verses, but by how we are shaped into a certain type of person because of the relationships that we have with one another. To further explore how this takes form in our practices as churches and communities of faith, I sit down with Dr. Rich Melheim, founder of the Cross-Generational Ministry Movement and one of the foremost experts on faith formation, Christian education, and relationship-driven ministry in the Lutheran world for the past decade. It sounds like you really believe, and I'm totally with you, that it's about life together. It's about process. It's about the process of formation of the journey, probably lifelong journey of discipleship. But kind of what's the net gain of that for, you know, the, the older uh, people in our communities and the young adults? If we could define, redefine children's ministry as children doing ministry hmm. instead of children doing program. If we could def redefine youth ministry as youth doing ministry instead of youth doing program, if we could redefine family ministry as families doing ministry, we have on the, the, the word church is Kurie Oikos, house of the Lord. We have to claim every name, claim and reframe every house. This is a house of the Lord. We have to call parents, maybe when they find out they're pregnant, in the womb, your ears are fully functional. Hmm. And the songs that you sing while you're pregnant already are going to have uh, the beginning of the, the faith formation of the kid. The love and care you give each other, the cortisol level that a mother has, if, if whoever is surrounding this young mother is helping her do highs and lows and get a massage and feeling okay when the whole world is changing, uh, you know, you have a womb with a view, the baby's listening. <laughs> you, if we start family ministry, you know, the moment you know you have a family, or if you're doing pre-marriage counseling, if anybody gets married anymore anyway, if you're doing <laughs> pre-marriage counseling and you're saying, you know, I'd love to marry you, but you need to do highs and lows every night and, and pray for each other. And if you just pray for the good and ask the Holy Spirit's help with the bad, thanks God for the good, I'll be happy to do your wedding. But I want to make sure the marriage has something solid. If you think of the elder, when... Uh, when a little pudgy hand goes into an old wrinkled hand, magic happens. And there's a neurological basis for that. So true. The, the stress level goes down. The cortisol washes out. Cortisol, which contributes greatly to depression. When, when uh, grandpa loses grandma after 52 years of marriage, his whole body is in danger. His, whole, his life is in danger. Because cortisol constricts the blood vessels. He's not getting enough oxygen to the brain and to the organs. Cortisol does havoc on the immune system. 
And that's why it's a lot easier to get sick after someone, you know, somebody significant to you dies. Cortisol prematurely wrinkles and ages and sags your skin. This is a beauty treatment, cheaper than Botox. <laughs> put, a little, put a little pudgy hand in that old wrinkled hand and ask them their highs and lows and have them do some art together. And get them to sing and dance and grandma's going to live longer. That'll sell. Grandpa's going to live longer. <laughs> And so if the mindset is the healthiest system would be more like an extended family than like an age-segregated classroom. And this family knows each other. And this family is serving together. And this family is laughing together. And this family is learning together. A much more holistic piece. If you have adopted aunts and uncles and cousins for your kids, multiple redundant mentors, what a gift that would be to a parent, right? I got many voices helping them make this decision as those adolescent years come and that natural natural push away. What if my church was the one place that was really the family in the best sense of the word? In the biblical day, family, familial, familiar, uh, the Greek word is oikos. And my household was an economic unit, a care unit, a protection unit. Even my dog was part of my oikos, my family staying up all night watching over me, that sort of thing. When Paul baptized the family, the oikos of the Philippian jailer, it was all ages and all stages. You weren't just randomly plucking out babies to baptize. You were you were planting Christ in a community. This is not a class. This this segregated classroom mentality is very recent. And the schools picked it up after the baby boom and all the little one room schools folded. But the church picked it up to please the baby boomers. I'm one, by the way. And baby boomers want what we want. And if we don't get what we want, we'll go somewhere else. We're used to paying for services. And if we don't like the service, we're gone. Guess what? You call your church 10 o'clock in the morning a service. Stop it. (laughs) Do not call it a service any longer. There's a really great book called The Experience Economy. Harvard Business Press book. It's the only Harvard book I've ever seen dedicated to the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, written by Pine and Gilmore, the the experience economy. And it leads you through what people value today, and it's not service. You can buy coffee on the commodity exchange for pennies a pound. Once you turn it into a service and you buy coffee at Perkins, it costs $1.50 for a cup of coffee. might cost $4 at Starbucks. Why? It comes with an experience. The author says he's, his most expensive cup of coffee was 15 bucks in Italy. And he was sitting out on the veranda on a sunny morning, and the lovers were kissing in the park below, and the birds were singing, and the sun was rising. He paid 15 bucks for the cup of coffee. Was it worth it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He'll never forget. What we value is not service. You get to the end of the book. And we find out it's not even experience. What we value is transformation. So read the book, Experience Economy, and rewrite your entire church service. Get rid of that word. Yeah, rewrite your worship and your family based on you know, what do people really need and what do they really value. And it's not what we're doing right now. Otherwise, the young, young adults would be with us. Yeah, and I think that young adults often are very much mischaracterized in that regard, that we think they're – really interested in the transactional, the, the, you know, the, the thing itself, the good, the service. But that experiential element in its truest sense is largely missing in most of our worship experiences, education times. 
it's not holistic, and it's certainly not something that you engage in both directions. You know, you don't download and upload in our worship services <laughs> the way that you do in the real no, world. It's almost all download. I'm going to sit here and watch your show. And that's fine for the television era generation. It just is, doesn't work for, for the post-television. Yeah. The, the problem is right now, or one of the problems, is that the people paying the bills are all television era people. Right. And that matters. The, the people <laughs> you have in leadership paying the bills all expect a good show. Yeah. I want a good choir. I want a good sermon. I want to be out in time uh, for the football game. <laughs> That's what I demand. And if I don't get it, I'll go somewhere else. Right. But what we need to do is we need to start looking at how does the millennial and post-millennial learn? What do they value? Where do they prioritize their only limited quantity is, is time? Uh, where do they put their time? And it's not what we're doing. Otherwise, they'd be there. Uh, Doug, uh, who's the head of Lutheran Men and Missions in Chicago? Doug uh, Jones, maybe? Anyway, he took me out for pizza a couple years ago, and I, I was on the road doing uh, 75 City Faith Incubators, Let's Do Cross-Gen Tour. My son was with me. We went out for pizza. with It's the Lutheran Men and Mission guy, Doug. Anyway, and, and he said something brilliant. I, I don't know if he made it up or if somebody said it before, but he said the system you have in place is perfectly designed for the results you're getting today. Yes, so true. You got no men in your church? You have a system perfectly designed for no men in your church. You got no millennials in your church? You have a system perfectly designed for no millennials in your church. 90% of the confirmation kids come and never come back after confirmation day? Na, 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 na. You have a system perfectly designed to never have them come back. So... We have to become systems thinkers or we're dead. The church is still going to grow. God will take care of that. Maybe in sub-Saharan Africa, Indonesia, and South America. But it would sure be nice in this Reformation year that we could be part of a new reforming. The thing that will stay the same is Jesus Christ. God will gift the church. But we need to get out of our complacency and systems and start thinking new new systems. I'll close with a thought here, and that's the uh, when you meet upon an accident in the highway, your first job is not to make the victim lying there comfortable. Your first job is get them out of danger. Get them off the highway. And they might yell and scream at you. That's too bad. But you might you might live. And right now, we're we're dying on the highway. That's not the will of God. There's too many good things that we have in our heritage that can be part of something beautiful and powerful and with good, orthodox, heartfelt, caring theology put to work in the streets. Uh, If it's real and it's authentic and we know and love each other and there's the highs and lows, that intimacy. You know, the, the Old Testament word for sex, yada, it means I know you to be known. Adam knew Eve, right? We don't even know each other. We're sitting next to each other in the pews and we don't know each other. And so it's going to start when it's no longer a one-way transaction, but there's two dimensions to the cross. In the end, it just might be that the path forward for the church and for a world that is so broken and hurting and in need of help really is the simplest thing. Perhaps what 
the church needs most today to reinvigorate it with energy and growth is not something new, not some new program or curriculum, some fancy technological tool, but to reclaim something very old, to reclaim our identity as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God and members of God's family, and that by deepening our relationships with one another, by leaning into those people who might be different from us in age or stage of life, in race or ethnicity, in political perspective or view of the world, we can reclaim what it means to be bound together in Christ Jesus for the 21st century world. I wish you blessings and luck as you launch into whatever new things are springing forth in your life at this time of year. Whether it's another year of school or programs in your congregation, whether it's a new job or a new stage of life, or whether it maybe just feels like more of the same. May God bless you and walk with you as we walk into this new time of year together. And I hope that you will continue to walk with us at bravenewchurch.org, where you'll continue to find blog posts, episodes of the podcast, and a library of resources to help support you as you work to be a part of the brave new thing that God is doing in this brave new world. Until next time, friends, may God bless you, and may you find what God is already up to in your name.